This time of year, I can't help but think, and I use the analogy a lot, it's like that little wisp that comes out of your hot chocolate, right? It's there, and then it's gone. Folks, it doesn't matter what your age is, you're almost home. If you're in Christ, you're almost home. We do not know, okay? And the other thing that we can remember is that we might be home today because Christ comes back. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there may have been one or many who needed to hear that message today. All of us, Lord, need to be able to worship you in song, and as we have done that, we have sung some great hymns today. And we have heard a message of encouragement already. And we thank you for that ministry. We thank you, Lord, that as we now approach your word, that it is just another way that we can um, learn more about you and respond to you in faith. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I often begin the message with a bit of a review. Um, we're going through a series right now, and it's helpful to get our bearings as to where we have been. Uh, sometimes we take a little bit bigger look, like we did last week, and I read a, a larger chunk of the passage that we have been in, um, and we you know, took a few minutes to, to review that a bit. Other times we summarize the last week or two. But before we do that today, I want us to remember um, that we are a new person in Christ. If we believe the gospel, the good news, the message of Christ, then we have been saved. We have been rescued from our sins and the spiritual death that that brings. And the gospel is simply this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned against God, and I'm one of those all, right? Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As a sinner, someone who has offended God, a rebellious person who frankly enjoys sinning, I earn death. Apart from Christ, I have earned death. This is a forever separation from God. This is eternal punishment. We're not messing around. This is something that every person has in front of them apart from Jesus. But then the scriptures tell us in John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? He is the exception, <laughs> right? Except through me. There are no other exceptions. There are no other paths. There are no other ways there are not multiple ways. It is through Christ that we can have life. It is through Christ that we can have a right relationship with the Father. And we understand that Romans 8, 5, 8 tells us, but God demonstrates, he showed, right? His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God actively showed his love by Christ dying for us, even while we were in a rebellious state. 1 Corinthians 15 very clearly gives us the gospel in a, in a, in a nutshell. 
For I delivered to you, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, first of all, that which I also received. He's not making something up here. This is the message. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Along with that, we see that we are given new life. But God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians chapter 2, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And even though this is a parenthetical phrase here, this is powerful. By grace you have been saved. Right? By God's unmerited favor, by nothing that we have done, we have been rescued. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Positionally, that's where we are if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. Then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace, following up with that theme, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what we have here in a nutshell is the fact that we don't come to God based upon our merit, our worth. Um, yes, people can do good things, but not, not as far as earning God's favor. We're, we're, we're dead. We're dead until we're made alive. And that is a gracious thing that God does for us. It is not something that we work toward. It is not something that we earn. It is something that we receive based upon our simply trusting in what he has done for us. All right? So we were an enemy of God, yet God reconciled us to himself. He made that relationship right. We were naturally born sinners, but we were born again and adopted into his family. This reminder is relevant for us today as we continue in our message. It's going to play a part in that because our scripture that we're looking at today, including, again, a little bit of review, verses 14 through 17 of Colossians 3, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Two weeks ago, we looked at how we were to put on love. Love is what binds all of the other character traits together that we have examined and motivates us to practice them. It makes all that happen. Last week, our topic was peace. Specifically, we are to have harmony in the body of Christ. This type of love and peace or unity can only be shared by those who have a relationship with Christ. This type, uh, it's logical. We simply can't have a valid relationship with Christ's church if we do not have a relationship with him. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes sense. The reason why I took us through a detailed reminder of our faith is to link our previous uh, weeks of study with today's subject. In the original language, our text neatly divides into three sections, which we will look at. Each are related but can stand alone. But as we look at that, it, it is related to our faith. And the first thing we're going to be looking at, the first phrase, 
as far as uh, uh, the, the verse 16, what we've already read is this, the word of Christ. Now we need to first see what Paul intends the Colossian church to understand by this phrase, the word of Christ. This does not mean a direct word or revelation from Christ. Um, Paul wasn't leading the Colossians to think that Jesus would miraculously communicate with them in order to give them some new information. We know this isn't the case because he has already spent a great deal of time encouraging them that they have what they need in Jesus, right? And he was telling them that these false teachers that are coming up are giving them a false message. They're they're adding to the word of Christ, in essence. There are other passages that lead to an understanding of this phrase, word of Christ, uh, and that is equal with the gospel of Christ. I'm going to look at some of those verses. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted, and after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also in whom also having believed, you were promised, I'm sorry, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then 1 Corinthians 1.6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Then we have one more verse, Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So we see that each of these in a little bit different way, says the same thing. All of these verses point to the good news of Jesus Christ. So we've established that this word of Christ is what they have already been taught and what they know. We've mentioned several times that Paul promotes in this letter more than any other the deity and supremacy of Christ as God the Son. This is another one of those occasions. He's highlighting that this is the word of Christ that they are trusting in. This phrase exalts Christ in that we know of him, what we know of him is central to our faith. If Christ were not God, then this phrase would be idolatry and blasphemy. Right? We would be attributing Godhood. We would be elevating the name of of Christ above God in the wrong sort of way, or saying that he's equal of God, but he's not. Well, of course he is. So this is not blasphemy. This is praise. So what is to be done with our knowledge of Christ, with, with this knowing that we are supposed to have? It says the word of Christ was to richly indwell them and Again, we want to make this personal. The word of Christ is also to richly indwell us. Said another way, he, he, the word of Christ, is to abundantly reside in us. Right? He's supposed to be among us and a part of us. You know, I, I, I can't really think of any better simple illustration of this our understanding of Jesus should affect us like putting a tea bag in a pot of boiling water. That's what that idea of indwelling, it's, it's infusing us, right? 
the message of Christ, the gospel of Christ, our hope in him, should infuse the body. It's similar to what we saw with the peace of Christ. There is a personal aspect and a corporate or group aspect to this. There's a parallel with peace in that their salvation is to have a collective presence in them. Again, just like us. Each person as a part of the church must be born again by placing their hope in the gospel. The emphasis here is that the salvation they all possessed should be the foundation for and purpose of everything they were to accomplish together with Christ and in Christ and for Christ. They were to always keep a fresh appreciation for the salvation that the Lord provided for them. That is what Paul is talking about, this this rich indwelling or this abundant residing. And of course, as I mentioned, we are to have the same mindset. It is just as relevant for us today. The gospel is to capture our amazement. It is to be our reference point for all of life personally and as a church. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't grow beyond the basics of our knowledge of salvation. That's not what that's speaking about at all. I want us to look at a few verses that help us understand this in Hebrews. Hebrews 5.12 For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. In this context, the author laments that he wants to teach them some deeper things, but they aren't mature enough to handle it. He, he has to pull back a little bit because they can't take the meat of the word. Instead, he tells them that by this time, they should be able to teach others the basics as well. In the same context, we go to the sixth chapter, first verse. Therefore, leaving the d- discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, and it goes on. Let me just be clear. This is not to mean that we move past the basics of the doctrines of Jesus Christ, okay? That we move past them as if we're somehow to grow or mature out of that stage, never to return to it again. That's not what it's saying. It means that we grow beyond the basics of salvation. I have a quote for you from none other than John Calvin. As in building a house, one must never leave the foundation, yet to be always laboring and laying the foundation would be ridiculous. Right? If the foundation's laid, you don't continue to, tr- to build the foundation. You build beyond that. And I, I was like, man, I can't ignore this. This is like a, a gift here, you know. And very, very well explained. So then we stay in the same context of the same book, same author, everything. And he says this in Hebrews 12, 2. This is moving on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As I mentioned, this is the same book. The same author, and what is he doing? He's reinforcing the fact that we have to keep our focus on Christ. But notice why. Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Put another way, Jesus is the founder or originator and the completer of our faith. We we, we can't look past him. We can't look past what he has done. 
but we build upon that. So keeping our focus on Christ is essential for a vibrant life, a vibrant life of faith, of devotion, and obedience. That's what this is all about. And so what is the next thing that we are to be looking at then? It is wise teaching and warning. I want us to see how wisdom fits into this text. Paul writes in a way that emphasizes wisdom. We're on to that next phrase. This might make it look like wisdom is attached to the word of Christ. Because it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. However, in all wisdom should be attached to teaching and admonishing one another. It comes before teaching and admonishing because it's being emphasized. So we would read it like this, but we would emphasize it more with our voice. We should simply read it, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. Right? So it comes before the phrase, not like the way we would necessarily construct it, because he's trying to say, hey, make sure that wisdom is involved in this, and then goes on to explain it. Now, this doesn't mean that the phrase is completely detached from the word of Christ. It can't be. Since the word of Christ is the subject, everything is related to it, right? There's no mystery to the meaning of the word teaching. It is simply instruction, right? It's just the normal way that we would teach, whether it be formal or informal. The same goes with admonish, except that we use the word warn more often in modern English rather than admonish. But that's what it means. So we are told here that we are to teach and to warn. Now, here's where it gets interesting and personal. We are to teach one another in the things of the Lord and to warn each other. Certainly, this includes more formal types of instruction like teaching and preaching and Bible studies. But it also includes life-on-life experiences as a church, whether it be all of us meeting together or us meeting together in smaller groups. As we simply do life together as believers, we can informally instruct one another in spiritual matters. Godly character will guide the purpose and the motive of giving and receiving instruction. Now let me explain that a little bit. We just went through talking about how we're to be humble, about how we're to submit to one another, about how we're to um, uh, consider each other in love, about how we're to be patient, and all these other different things, right? Well, that has to do with both being able to speak to somebody about maybe something that that someone needs to know, about maybe warning someone in a direction that they're taking, right? But also being able to receive that. Now, here's where it gets a little fun, folks. Sometimes people get the idea that they are the instructor for everyone, okay? And sometimes they need a little instructing and understanding. It's not just your standard, right? And your instruction. And you don't have to tell everybody everything. Uh, That can be a little difficult. But at the same time, I think that the greater tendency is for us to shrink back, thinking that we might offend or something like that. And again, Let me read the phrase that I gave to you. Godly character will guide the purpose and motive of both giving and receiving an instruction. We could even add that it will guide the method 
<laughs> right? We all know that maybe getting a little advice or being warned about something isn't easy. But we all know and have experienced at times when we have received that and it has made a world of difference in our life. This can also be applied to our families, right? Spouses with one another, warning each other. Parents to children, very important. Young people, listen to mom and dad. God put them there. Listen to that instruction, that warning. Oh, that's never going to happen. I'm good. Yeah. There's only one thing worse than your parents, from your perspective, from your parents teaching you all the time or warning you. It's hearing I told you so. <laughs> so listen to them, right? It's the same way in the church. We, we don't want to have to say I told you so. We, we want people to, to be rejoicing in what they've received. So this letter to the Colossians is a model of what Paul is encouraging the church to do. Paul reminds the Colossians of the word of Christ, right? As we did earlier in the book about the gospel of Christ, about the message of Christ, and encourages them to live by it. He gave them instructions and warnings related to living out their faith. So Paul is doing exactly what he's telling the church to do. So although these spiritual truths reach deep into our hearts and affect our entire life, folks, they're still simple. They are profound, but they are simple. We can all understand and apply these truths. They're not over our heads. So we have this word of Christ that is to just infuse our life as a body of believers. We should never get over it. It should be the foundation of all that we do. We're to teach one another. And then we have instruction through song. Now, let me give you a little background here. We already know the purpose of these songs. It's a, it's a teaching device, right? It's a device for teaching or warning. At a point of history where the printed word would be impractical and very costly, putting spiritual songs, I'm sorry, truths to song, would be an excellent and frankly obvious way to teach those truths. It'd be a, an amazing device. Folks, I must note here that there is a huge divergence, a huge divergence of interpretation and opinion on this subject. I am going to present what I believe is the best understanding and not go into a huge amount of detail of this passage. We may not agree, but this is not a main doctrinal issue. In other words, if you see it differently, I'm not going to argue with you, okay? But I'm telling you that as I have been studying this and everything, there are literally people that are saying, this is what it is, and if you don't think it's this, you're wrong. Well, guess what? There's people over here that are saying, you know that person that said that everything, that these facts are wrong? This is what I think it is, and they're wrong. I mean, you can't be any more divergent, okay? But yet at the same time, they're all still talking about the same thing. It's not like we don't understand the meaning. We're talking about spiritual songs. 
but how it comes out is different. So I'm giving you the, the best slice I can give you. And I just want to start by looking at a psalm here. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. This comes from a psalm. And that's what I want to look at first because it says with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The common understanding is that these refer to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. Again, you're going to find people that are going to say that's not the case, but I really believe it is. This was the inspired, compiled hymn book of the children of Israel and covers many topics and moods. We need to remember that many of the churches that Paul wrote to included Jewish converts. Sometimes they began with completely Jewish converts. Some of the churches started from scattered Jews who placed their faith in Jesus the Messiah. And so as that took place, that would have been a very natural thing to take the songs that they had that were very much, again, all different types of subjects, but very much related to the Lord and incorporate them into what we would call Christian worship to actually apply them uh, to also praising the Messiah. Then there are hymns, and we're not talking about, you know, just our strict definition, something in a hymn book. These would be best understood as Christian songs of praise. They certainly centered on Christ as the object of worship, okay? So that was a hymn that they would have sung. And then there are spiritual songs, songs related to spiritual themes or principles, Scholars don't have a lot of specific evidence. You know, they're kind of working in the dark a little bit about this one as far as, you know, what was actually sung about or whatever. And, and folks, I could go on and on about this. But this was done corporately, but also it was done even in small groups. Now, we don't usually sing to one another in our culture. And again, like I say, some of this was probably related to a, a, a song was, was developed, a song was sung, and so you sung the principle, right? It just came out. Um, this is going to be probably, you know, we had a Scott Kiger give a solo today, and even just hearing that, right, it kind of just sent shivers down my spine. Did a great job, Scott, but I, I just like, you know, Scott Kiger, you know. So, but I'm actually going to sing for you a little bit today, just a little bit. So let, let's see how this goes. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Because God says that's a sin. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's what they did. But that's some of the things that they would do. <laughs> you like it, don't you? Get the, get the guitar out, yeah. So <laughs> but seriously, I mean, how else would they speak to one another in song? You know? So it was some principle... That happened to be an admonishment, a warning, right? Don't go there. It's the wrong thing to do, all right? So anyway, dumb, silly little thing. But the point is this. They sung to one another. Now, there, there's, there's another aspect to this. I mentioned I gave you the background. This is another part of the background, but it helps us understand that we had these psalms, these, these formal songs that we came, that we brought out of the Old Testament. We had these hymns, 
that, again, they could be sung in, in various things, but they were designed for worship. So they would have been a church setting type of thing. And then there's those spiritual songs, right? There is this cultural aspect of even just singing. Obviously, culture and singing go hand in hand. I mean, we see that in all cultures. But with the Romans, the Roman feasts were often drinking parties accompanied by gluttony and other sinful acts that we won't be naming right now, right? They would sing songs, and some were to Bacchus, the god of wine. Sometimes the entire feast was dedicated to Bacchus. How convenient for a culture to say, we have a god who created wine. How should we worship him? Drinking wine. How should we worship him really good? Drink lots of wine. You know, that's, that's Roman culture. Okay? So these were drinking parties. These were immoral gatherings. They weren't good. And it was all in the guise, really, I shouldn't say all, but there was this, there was this pretext of worship, right? The followers of Christ changed all of that. They changed what that looked like in their culture. And a culture that was based upon the word of Christ, the gospel. They gathered to worship and to honor Christ. And part of how they did that was to sing songs to him and to sing songs about the Christian life. Now, we have a parallel passage to this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. So if you'll turn there, uh, Ephesians 5. We've actually read this as a parallel for some other things that we were relating to in the book of Colossians. Starts in verse 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly. That word basically means keep your head in a swivel. Look around you. Know your surroundings, right? See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Give me thanks always for all things to God and, and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one, another, to one another in the fear of God. So we see how, and we've talked about this before, that the book of Ephesians is, is, a, is a parallel to the book of Colossians. They were written at about the same time, and even though the, 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 the themes are roughly the same, how Paul spoke to each group was slightly different. But there is a parallel to having the word of Christ in us and having the spirit of God in us, right? There's a parallel there. As a matter of fact, you can't have one without the other, right? But we see that this singing with the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs and, and, and really having a happy time praising God was... was um, I can't think of another word, juxtaposed, right? It was an opposite picture of what? A drunken feast. So we see evidence here that that's exactly what was taking place. That was exactly what they were saying we want to do away with, we want to get away from, but we're not going to lose the joy of praise. 
we're not going to lose the joy and the purpose of singing. And folks, I, I bring you back to our, our music ministry today. Those songs were rich. Those songs were beautiful. There was some teaching that was going on there, right? And I've even heard people, um, it's not even uncommon to give testimony that God brings verses to our minds. God brings biblical principles to our minds during difficult times. But sometimes he also brings songs to our mind, okay? Of course, those songs are based on the scriptures. But the point is this. They come to our minds. Why? Because there's that tune in there. And so this is very personal. We see here that we have a, a shared knowledge of Jesus, right? We share in the responsibility of being able to teach and encourage and also warn one another and then we also see that that can come out in our worship, that can come out in our singing together. Um, you know, I, again, I, I, I don't know that I'm advocating. I think we're looking at a cultural thing here. We, we don't necessarily need the same devices, but, you know, I, I talked about Cats last week. Now I'm talking about musicals. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not a big musical fan. I love some of them, but some of them it's like, you know, we're talking and we're talking together and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, where did that come from? You know what I mean? I don't understand that. Well, honestly, it's kind of like, you know, if we're sitting around talking together and all of a sudden you start singing at me, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm not sure that's coming back your direction. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so culturally, you know, but have we not explained the culture, right? It, it is against what was happening on a regular basis in Roman times in people's homes because it was a party, right? Bacchus is great. Instead, it's a celebration of Jesus. It's a completely different thing. And it's about the word of Christ. So what progress have we made today? Again, we've talked about this already, but a collective focus on and celebrating and celebration of the gospel of Christ will inspire us to live for him. It, it brings together all those character traits that we've been talking about, right? It's all about Jesus. It goes back to the very theme of the book that Christ is supreme. It will also keep us grounded in what we are to be about. And we build on the foundation of Christ by teaching and warning one another toward maturity. We do this both formally and informally. Not nitpicking, not being critical, but just positively encouraging one another to be obedient, to be more knowledgeable, and to watch out for ourselves. An important way to accomplish this is through singing, in full corporate worship or even in small groups, in praise to God and songs that teach and warn about spiritual matters. Now, the only thing that I'm going to say in relation to this when it comes to, and I apologize, I didn't give you the conclusion for you there. But anyway, um, we need to understand that culture changes Music changes. God's principles do not change. This is not something that I'm going to get deep in. 
partly because I don't know that I'm extremely knowledgeable in music. But what I'll tell you is this. There are some things that I might listen to, that I might enjoy, outside of the body of Christ, that, that really do my heart good. They're not necessarily songs that are made to, to worship by, right? Um, sometimes it's just how they're structured. Sometimes just the, 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 the what do we say? The depth isn't there, right? But there are other songs that have been written, even very recently, and, and we have some of them um, when, when, we, when we put up the slides, that are very much in the same vein of the things that we're talking about here in Scripture. And so we need to understand that it isn't the age of something. It isn't even ultimately the style of something that determines whether or not it is a, a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song. It has to do with the content and, and the, the, the appropriate form that it should take when we are worshiping together. And so I just want us to understand that and to be able to celebrate that and to understand that even within our culture as a church, there are some subcultures, <laughs> right? But we need to figure out how we're going to be harmonious, not just in our singing, but even what we sing about, how we sing, all those different things, okay? So just leaving that with you as food for thought, let's close our time. Heavenly Father, what a beautiful message that we have here. Um, we, we, we don't ever move beyond our salvation. We, we, we don't somehow get over it and, and it becomes somehow detached to our life in you. It's impossible but yet at the same time, we need to build on it. And part of that is, is teaching. Lord, I thank you for those who dedicate their time and their attention. They, they, they do without some things in their lives by teaching our adults, by teaching our children, by teaching our youth. Uh, Lord, I, I know that they are greatly appreciated. But at the same time, we, we just want to ask that you will just keep them faithful that they will stay focused on you, that, that um, all of us will be careful not to insert ourselves too much into what we say, but that we clearly try to express to those who are listening what your word has to say. Lord, it's a great privilege to present your word to others. But Lord, we also really need to know, and I pray that you'll, you'll, you'll convince us that all of us have some things to contribute and that there are times when we're just talking about spiritual things where we might have some insight that somebody else needs and that we, we don't shrink back from that. Or even having that balance to where we don't have to have all the insights. <laughs> Again, Father, may we be bearing all of this out in love, considering the other people. But Lord, I know that I haven't always enjoyed necessarily a warning, but it's helped me to grow. I thank you, Father, for those who have invested in me, starting even when Sunday school as a kid. Of those who have diligently prepared your word, 
and delivered it and has helped me to grow piece by piece, step by step. I thank you that as a body of believers that we are doing that together. And Lord, I do pray that we will see our singing time as, as a time of joy and, and as a time of learning, as a time of reminder. And yes, even at times like this morning when maybe we're going through a difficult time and, and your truths are a balm. Your principles from your word are exactly what we need to just get through this next week. So Lord, we thank you that you know how to minister to us. And you are the ultimate one who guides and leads for your glory. That's what we want. That's what we pray for. And again, Father, we just thank you for your word itself. Ultimately, for the word of Christ, the very message that we have in the Gospels about your great Son, the glorious God and Savior that we worship, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of this in his great name. Amen.